Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Hey parents, you're listening to the Project Parenthood podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nanika Kaur, clinical psychologist and respectful parenting therapist. Each week, I'll introduce you to the same respectful parenting practices that I use to help parents repair and deepen connections with their children. You'll get tips for cultivating more parental self-compassion, more cooperation from your kids, and more joy, peace, and resilience in your relationship with them. In today's episode, I'm talking to Silaja Joshi, the founder of Mango and Marigold Press, an award-winning independent publishing house that shares the sweet and savory stories of the South Asian experience. You're going to hear about why diversity and representation in children's books are important and the role mindfulness plays in teaching kids about diversity and acceptance. Stick around till the end to hear why diversity in books isn't just good for people of color. Here's my chat with Silaja. Hi, Silaja. I'm so glad to have you here at Project Parenthood. Hi, Nanika. How are you? I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So you're going to give us a little bit of an idea about how we can diversify our children's bookshelves. First of all, um, why is diversity and representation in children's books so important? You know... Uh, children aren't born with this inherent feeling of not belonging. Like if you see children on the playground and things like that, they know that each other is belong. Their yearn is to love and to be with whomever. Society teaches them that. And so diversity and representation of traditionally under-minoritized people, and that includes large groups of people. It's not just about race, but gender, sex, identity, ability. All of those individuals is just giving children the opportunity to see the world for what the world is and who is in it and who takes up space and to help build the muscle of empathy and to continue to amplify it in their existence. And so I think having a bookshelf that represents the world around us is just fundamental. It is just the ground level of where we start to bring together the society that we want to live in. Absolutely. I think it's really, really important that as what you're saying that the children see in their media, in their books, 
really what they sort of see in the world around them. Um, And sometimes maybe even not what they see in the world around them, right? If you're living in a particular homogenous kind of area, like there's other people in the world besides just what you see, right? Just so knowing what's beyond your block, what's beyond your city, what's beyond your state, beyond your country. Absolutely. So what role um, does mindfulness play in teaching our children about diversity and acceptance I think mindfulness is this wonderful opportunity to give our children a moment to pause, reflect, and ask questions. I think children are inherently curious little beings because they're just trying to figure out the world. And I think books like, you know, Mango Marigold Press's books, or uh, there are wonderful publishers who have these like diverse books who re- that represent the world around us, give children an opportunity to have a safe space to ask questions about what is there and to pause. And I think a lot of us think of mindfulness as sitting down, meditating and chanting OM. And that is absolutely one form of mindfulness for sure. But I think it can come in so many ways. And questioning can be another thoughtful way to bring mindfulness into your existence, to ask questions in a safe way. And that's a lot of times what children's books help to introduce. Absolutely. Bringing new topics in and, you know, what's happening in this very present moment. Often when you're reading books, kids do have a lot of questions. And, you know, we're so socialized in our society to like get through to the end of that book. So they break in with a question and we're like, let me just finish what I'm reading. Let me just finish this sentence. Let me just finish this sentence. But sometimes like that's the way their thoughts are coming in this really sort of um, organic way. They're not waiting until the end of the story for those questions to pop up and being able to sort of pause and engage your child in that question and that that those are those safe moments. And it does allow a child to know that this is a safe place where you can ask me anything, you can interrupt me and ask me anything. And that's hard. It's hard for us to sort of train ourselves to slow down in that mindful way that you're talking about. It's a wonderful practice. And I think it helps to also cement this idea with children that like, it's okay to ask questions. (laughs) We shouldn't have the right answers. And as soon as we like let ego get in the way of thinking that we have the right answers and our answer is the right answer, we that's when we end up where we are in many ways. You know, instead taking time to pause, reflect and ask questions gives us this opportunity to give our children space to think of a world beyond what they're seeing. So what are some concrete ways that we can diversify our child's home library and make sure there's more inclusion of communities outside of our own? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think now with the advent of this thing called social media, I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, There's actually a, a lot of decent resources now online. I'm a huge fan of the the Conscious Kid who does a really wonderful job of providing Roundup of, of ch- different children's books. But I think when you're at your local independent bookstore, and I would encourage you to go there because they are wonderful purveyors of books. First thing I like to do is take a look at like the displays that they've created. People are being really thoughtful now about how they're displaying books. And I was recently at a new bookstore um, in our neighborhood and they had, you know, it's Asian Pacific Heritage Month. And they had a wide variety of books and like I'm in this children's book space and I was like, oh, I didn't I didn't I haven't I haven't heard of that book that are by authors from that community that are illustrated by authors of that community. And that's really nice. But if you might not have access to that, I think and for some reason you maybe don't have a list 
to look at. When you're at the bookstore, when you're at the library and you see a children's book, one of the first questions I ask myself is, who's the author? And I I, I take a moment to look up the author and understand, are they writing from their community or to a community? You know, or are they writing at a community? Are they telling a community how their story should be told? And that's when I have a problem. So I do a little reflection there. One of the next things I'll take a look at is I'll open the book and read it. And some people are like, don't you just like flip through the pages generally? And I'm like, no, I read children's books because a lot of people assume that writing a children's book is easy. And they assume because it's for a child that it is an easy task and that it doesn't take a lot of work. And let me tell you, I read hundreds of manuscripts a year. It is not an easy task. And so it needs to entertain. It needs to provide the child with some joy. And then I take a look at the subject matter and the storyline and look for some very basic stereotypes. You know, like what is the language they're using? Traditionally minoritized characters, are they playing secondary roles? Is the hero of this story really the hero of this story or are they uplifting someone else? I like on practice actively look, do not look for books with like um, a white male lead. I actively avoid it because my children see that in their space all the time. You know, so many books, more than 70% of the books feature stories about like white protagonists and animals. You know, there's something like five times as many books about dogs and trucks than there are about all children of color. And if you think about that, think about what that does to a child's psyche so, so early on to see your absence in the existence on a shelf. You know, and then I think really it's taking time. And that's the hard part because I think we grew up with some books that are really problematic that my children don't read now because it's come out that those authors are racist, that these caricatures are racist, that members of who the community are saying that, like, that hurts me. That representation hurts my existence. And the response to that is not, but it's classic. The answer to that is, Thank you for informing me. I am so sorry that you had to even do that work. And I am removing that from my bookshelf. And that's it. I think these are such amazing points that you're raising. There's so many things in there. I'm like, (laughs) what do I go to first? There's so many things I want to comment on. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, They'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. 
One of the first things you said that really stuck out to me is the idea of really looking for children's books where, especially children's books that are about people of color, um, children of color, books that are written, you know, by a person potentially in that cultural group, right? It's, I mean, certainly I understand that there are many people hoping, many white people hoping for more representation in books. And it's like, I'll write a book about a black child, right? And I get that the intention is great, but you're writing from a, um, a perspective that you, you're writing fo- from a perspective and for a perspective that you just don't really have any experience with personally. And, and so you just don't know how it feels. And, and it's not to say that you can't be sympathetic or empathetic with that or, or anything. And so I think that's really, really important. That idea of you looking up the author, you, that idea of you really looking through the book, what kind of language do they use? Is it like gendered language? Is it inclusive language? Is it like just solely very super binary language? Is it, there's just so many ways in which language just in and of itself can be excluding groups of people. So I just, I really love this point about taking a look at the book because just because it has people's faces on it of color doesn't mean it's a book that is a good one. uh, That's sending a good message. That's sending a message that you want your child to internalize. Yeah. And I think also um, in our publishing house, one of my philosophies has been the quiet moment. I think so many books have become teaching tools. And what's really interesting about a book that's a teaching tool is it's not teaching that person something. Like a book about Diwali, which to be really clear, like my publishing house has a wonderful book about Diwali. It's one of our bestsellers. We need that book. I'm not teaching Hindus, Buddhists, Jains, and Sikhs about Diwali. They know about Diwali. Who am I teaching? Who is that book for? And so if you take a look at our books now, they really celebrate joy and heritage. Absolutely. I think what you're saying is just so very important. The idea that of who is the audience for this book? Who is the audience? And this other idea of, you know, some just because there are people of color on this book who are maybe different than your color, doesn't mean that that book isn't for you. Doesn't mean that your child doesn't learn something from Uh somebody else's culture, somebody else's values, somebody else's folklore, because so much of those stories that are old stories in everyone's culture are things that are still universal and that really still apply to children today and children's lives and the things that um, the perspectives that children have of the world um, in in all the different cultures. I think that's so important just to in that way of being diverse in cultures and, and subject matter. Yeah, I just really I love that. I love that what you've said about that. I think too, like in our illustrations, we try to create some quiet moments too. So we have this book called Harini and Padmini Say Namaste. And it's this like little yoga pose book, essentially. And it takes like, you know, her friend, they're at like a yoga class, like parent kid yoga class. And the opening scene is Padmini walking in with her two moms. One is like Indian, one looks like white, and she's walking in. And the line is like, you know, Padmini and her amas walked into the like community center. And that is the conversation. That is it. There is no conversation about Padmini has two moms. There is no like making this a thing. Mm-hmm. Instead, it's like, yeah, like, shoot. You know who else does yoga? These two moms with their child. Isn't that cool? And that's it. 
Right. Because it's really important to see children from all colors um, doing just regular everyday things like going to yoga class. We don't all have to be saving the world from racism. We don't have to always be having this really dark story of strife and terrible Trauma. things happening. To, mm-hmm. Right. Like the, sometimes we just go to yoga class. <laughs> That's also what happens. Going back to what you said about the audience that that authors are writing for, I was reading a book written for adults. It was a parenting book. And one line in the book said something like, um, as white parents, we really just don't really understand what it's like for so and so and so. And I was like, just looking at the book, I was like turning it around. I'm thinking like, did you really only think that white people would read this book? Like, that's the idea that that book was written like to a slice of people as if there are no other kinds of parents. And it wasn't like there was anything about that book that was particularly um, like about race in and of, in and of okay. itself, right? Um, it, it had nothing to do with, with that necessarily, but it was just, just the idea that it was, that it's sort of like, here are these parenting practices that we all know about. We, like, we assuming like that there are only white people reading this book and no one else needs this book or would read it or I, I'm, I don't know, but it's just that's in the moment I'm reading this sentence, I'm going, oh, oh, this book isn't for me. Like, I, like I'm not even in this person's mind when they're no. writing this book. Right. And so it's really it's just made me not want to read the rest of the book. I just sort of put it down. <laughs> I was like, oh, I guess this isn't my thing. Okay. But publishing has such an interesting series of gatekeepers. That book, if it was with like any sort of publishing house, like anything that's beyond self-published, easily had seven to 10 different gatekeepers that read that line that were like, mm, yeah, keep going. Mm-hmm. That sounds great. Mm-hmm. And that's the part that really confuses me. What's one misconception you'd like to clear up about diversity and inclusion in children's literature? That it's only for brown families, families of color. That's wrong. That somehow our books won't resonate with families like white families. I will say this. um, I grew up never seeing myself in children's literature and stories resonated with me. I am a bibliophile, I'm sure you you don't see this here on the screen, but I am surrounded by books. I think the other misconception is that we we've done it, that we got there. Like it's just so not true. We are so much further from where we want to be. I think like representation now is like there are maybe like four times as many books about dogs and trucks than there are about all children of color. And also that it somehow has to be the side project the side thing of publishing houses. I think that's another really interesting piece that I've seen a lot of the big, you know, now it's the big four like major publishing houses doing. We have done this with intent and purpose since our inception with no funding from outside, no venture capital, no backing. I work a full-time job and still do this because I don't take a salary and we've made it work. It can sell and win awards. It's like, again, just the ground. It's like the foundation. We should just have books that represent everyone. And then we should have really good books that represent everyone. And then we should have books with this different illustration style that represent everyone. And that's, that's it. That's it. It doesn't seem like, I don't know, to me, it doesn't seem that groundbreaking, but it absolutely is in the publishing world. It really, really is. And as you said, you know, we haven't arrived at this post-racial place that 
you know, we still have a lot of work to do. So the idea, you sort of started this conversation talking about how you very intentionally don't get books for your children that have cis white males as the main character because your child, your child is exposed to that already. Like you don't have to sort of double down on that. Like that's everywhere all over everywhere you look, right? As you said, you're more often going to see a truck or an animal than you are going to see like a person, a person of color at all. So Mm -hmm. really having to be intentional about that. Like your, your child isn't going to see those images, especially if you live in a very homogenous kind of environment, your child isn't going to just see these images of people walking down the street. If you don't intentionally put them there, they don't exist for your child at all. Yeah. And I talk a lot about that. I talk about this in my, with my therapist too. This like intentional parenting that can be very, very hard. It is so like early on, it was so exhausting Again, that's why my publishing house started because like I wanted to give my oldest child when like I, I was like pregnant with them, I wanted to give them books that represented their culture, history and heritage. And that wasn't easy. And that was like eight years ago with a country like my family's from India, I identify as Hindu. There's billions, a billion of these people, billion. And I couldn't find representation. And that's like when I went down this rabbit hole of realizing like how little representation there was in this space for underrepresented, traditionally underrepresented minoritized communities. The way traditional publishing worked is there was like four or five interns like reading through the submissions and deciding. And how do you decide when you have to read like 800 manuscripts in like three weeks? How are you deciding? You look at a name, you look at a title, you just, your bias hops straight in mm-hmm. and then you meet someone and they're not using, you know, they're not using traditional English language. Maybe, maybe they're using a different type of meter, a different this, a different that, that gets thrown out. So like, it's not that they haven't existed. It's that the gatekeeping of traditional publishing didn't allow them to exist. And that's why I very intentionally use the term minoritized. It was done to them because they are not even, if you think about it, like a minority in the world. Absolutely. Right. So as we're wrapping up, I just wanted to ask you, you know, what is one thing you really want listeners to walk away with from our conversation today? One thing. Oh, my I think it's question and challenge what you're reading and how you're reading it and who it's by and where you're buying it. Like, um, I stepped into this world of publishing from a very naive sort of pure space of a mother wanting to create something for their oldest, for their child. And now that I've seen this lens of, I really advocate for challenge and change, you know, challenge yourself challenge your children, your children's teachers, offer up those books that are better replacements, like give it to them, use your time and money there and always question what you're reading. Absolutely. I think those are great. Question what you're reading, make some change, challenge the people in your world to really think about what they're consuming when it comes to books, children's books in particular. The idea is that, you know, diverse books are for everybody. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Thank you so much for talking with us today on Project Parenthood. And um, I would love to hear more. I'm going to get in touch with you and I want to hear more about (laughs) your publishing house and your and um, all the things that you all are doing. Is there anything you'd like to let the listeners know about? 
You know, you can follow us online on social media, mangoamerigoldpress.com. And in addition to that, we also have our nonprofit wing, 1001 Divers Books, that we started just late last year to help us to bridge the gap in book deserts for accessibility of children's books. Literacy can be linked to lots of different social determinants, and we're helping to bridge that gap. So you can follow us in 1001 Divers Books online. And yeah, I can't wait to continue the conversation. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much for being with us. I hope that's helpful. You can learn more about Silage's publishing house, Mango and Marigold Press, at www.mangoandmarigoldpress, all one word, dot com. And follow her on Instagram and Facebook at Mango and Marigold Press, again, all one word. You can learn more about my work with parents at www.brooklynparenttherapy. Dot com and on Instagram at BK Parents. That's B K P A R E N T S. If you have more questions about diversifying your child's bookshelf or any other parenting questions or stories, leave me a message at 646 926 3243 and be sure to let me know if it's okay to use your voice on the show or send an email to parenthood at quickanddirtytips.com. And don't forget to subscribe to Project Parenthood on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Catch you next week. Project Parenthood is a quick and dirty tips podcast. It's audio engineered by Dan Firebend with script editing by Adam Cecil. Our podcasting and advertising operations specialist is Morgan Christensen. Our assistant manager is Emily Miller. Our marketing and publicity assistant is Davina Tomlin, and our intern is Brendan Pika. That's all for this episode. Catch you next week. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, They'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.